Joe and welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Ferry. What a joy to be with you all once again. And it's a joy for me right here tonight to have the opportunity to speak to a guy that I saw wrestle when I first became a fan of professional wrestling. You all know I love WCW so fucking much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, right here, right now, I have the distinct honor to interview and introduce to you all the one, the only, the incomparable, Mr. Joe Gomez. How are you, sir? Wow. After a, uh, a greeting like that, I'm a lot better. Thanks. <laughs> good, to, good to see you, sir. Good to have the chance to connect with you and talk to you about your career. Uh, as per usual, Joe, when we uh, start off these interviews, Always the same question. I'm sure you've been asked this a few times in your life. How did you become a fan of professional wrestling before you got in the business? Wow. Yeah, that is a good question. I tell you, I don't remember exactly how it was. I mean, it was as a young child, you know, growing up in South Florida, just seeing Florida Championship Wrestling. You know, it was on Channel 6 and 33 on Saturday night. And just happened chance seeing that. And I was attracted to it and, you know, just... It was the era of Dusty Rhodes and Pac Song and Eddie Graham and Mike Graham. So I was just, I was entranced, you know, and I was growing up in Miami. So they would obviously go there once a week. So I was able to see them live and follow the program. Then my senior year, I moved up to Tampa, Florida, where I'm at now and have been for the past 35 years. And, you know, when I was here and graduating high school, I was in a wedding and uh, Dusty Rhodes and Mike Graham actually came up and asked me, hey, have you ever thought about wrestling? You know, and of course I was just dumbstruck, you know, Mike Graham and, and, and Dusty Rhodes. And they invited me down to school to train. But I'd also heard the stories about Hulk and Hiro Matsuda, you know, breaking his ankle. So I'm like, well, God, I wonder if they're just gonna make an example of me. So I was afraid, I'm not gonna lie, I was scared. So every time for the next, I don't know, probably six months, Ron Slinker would see me around town. And he was one of the enforcers for Florida Championship Wrestling. Really tough guy. I mean, I've seen him catch arrows with his bare hands on wide world of sports, you know, eighth degree black belt. Just a really, really uh, capable man. So he'd see me around town at the gym and everything. Hey, kid, I thought you were coming in. Oh, yes, sir. I'll be there. I'll be there. Until finally, one of my friends who owned the gym, Al Rosen, a dear friend of mine, and, you know, he re- actually wrestled with Rocky Johnson and was dear friends with the whole family, is still friends with him. He told me, no, I, I think they really see something in you. Perhaps, you know, they just really want to try you out and see if you can draw money, make money in the business. So I went and, you know, everything went really well. Training after like 18 matches, I got signed with uh, WCW, which I really wasn't prepared for, um, you know, in hindsight. But, uh, you know, it's like Steve Kern said, you don't know if you'll ever get another opportunity to sign the contract. So I did. And uh, had a great time and a lot of great friends and uh, really got a great education. 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. So 18 matches before you, you get signed to the big leagues. It's it's amazing. I've, I've had that story before from other people, but they only had a few matches. All of a sudden, they're under contract. Um, so uh, definitely being thrown in the deep end there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in hindsight, it probably wasn't the best thing for me in terms of career-wise, but, you know, I was always doing other things. I always had other businesses and um, you know, restaurants and while I was wrestling. So that definitely hindered my performance and, you know, running around with flair and horsemen probably didn't help too much either. Um, but, uh, it did give me a lifetime of stories and memories. So I can never go back on anything. I did I had a great time and met some really tremendous people. Excellent. So, yeah, no, I, I can imagine. I can imagine the stories with uh, the, the horseman. Uh, <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to talk about before talking about your time in WCW, uh, at least in the early 90s, uh, before you were there, you're uh, teaming with Mike Graham uh, a bit. Yeah. Uh, you became, a, a tag, I think, Florida tag champs. Um, yeah, yeah, in one of my, like, 18, 18 matches, he was my <laughs> first partner. And really a great guy. God rest his soul. I miss him. I think about him often. Um, learned learned as much as I could in a really condensed period of time from him. You know, he was just such a a wealth of knowledge in terms of the wrestling business. Everything he did was was so good, and it meant it meant so much. The littlest things meant so much. Now I can look back on it and really get it, but at the time it just went through over my head. I really didn't understand. And Paul Orndorff later on told me it takes about a thousand matches before that light goes on your head. And I agree. I think that's a good, good number. You know, there's other guys, Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, um, Randy Orton, you know, other guys that are just savants and they get it like that. You know, um, I wasn't one of them. I played football in college, you know, played baseball up until college. Um, always loved professional wrestling, wrestled a couple of amateur matches, you know, in high school. But it just it didn't come as quickly to me as it did to those guys. Of course, yeah, the, the, those guys are, are a rarity, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, it's time to talk a little bit about uh, uh, Alan Iron Eagle yeah. uh, and signing to WCW in September of 1990. Um, how did this happen? How did it come about that you got the uh, got the opportunity to be signed? And did Steve put in a good word? Uh, I know sometimes in wrestling, it's who you know. Uh, and also, can you tell me about uh, the creation of the name Alan Iron Eagle? Absolutely, sure. Well, the the genesis of that came when Ole Anderson, he was the booker for WCF at the time, he was in Florida, Florida Championship Wrestling, looking for new talent. And it was us against the Nasty Boys. He was actually there to see the Nasty Boys. Believe me, not me. <laughs> Um, it was Mike Graham and I against the Nazi boys. And Mike was kind of winding down his career. He would go back to WCW subsequently as an agent and, and work a little bit when they needed somebody on the road. But his performing career was pretty much winding down. But, uh, you know, they put the, the, the seasoned veteran, the superstar with the green, literally green as goose shit rookie, and tried to get something out of that. And I did learn quite a bit, but we weren't together very long, like I said. And Ole came into town and he signed the Nasty Boys, signed myself. And, you know, it was an exciting, a really exciting time for me. I mean, I had, you know, like I said, all of 18 to 19 matches under my belt. I was in college, living with my parents, and I had this unbelievable opportunity to go work for Turner Broadcasting, which owned WCW. 
and it was a dream come true, literally. That is so cool. It's it's so great when I get to do these interviews and just somebody just rattling off that their dream came true. Uh, not many people on this planet get to have their dream come true. So very very lucky, um, right. as far as as far as You're I'm right. concerned. Uh, Okay, you joined the company, 18 matches. Who did you gravitate towards backstage? Uh, you know, who's the first kind of people that you became friends with? Did anyone take you under their wing? You know, uh, you know what, actually, I, I have to say, I wish, I think it just happened so quickly and um, I wasn't able to process it the right way because a lot of guys did. I rode with Sid Vicious. You know, he took me under his wing for a while great guy i mean just a tremendous tremendous guy and i rode with him well um al green who's uh you know left us uh yeah. subsequently he and uh kevin nash had formed a tag team called the master blasters well i was married to them for the first oof, four months on the road with wcw literally and those guys were big strong guys and that was probably my first real test uh, being married with those guys for three months or four months in the road. So I rode with them for a little while and I had a couple of harrowing experiences with, uh, with Sid and I told Flair and the guys, you know, that we had two crews back then. We had the A and the B crew and we were coming back together. Uh, my first match was in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina against Iron Sheik, you know, former WWE champion. So I think, oh my God, he's going to, you know, be hot at having a, you know, put over this green kid who's, you know, a nobody, literally, you know, former WWE champion, still carried himself well, was still in good shape and could go back then. This is, you know, 30 some years ago. But everything went great. Couldn't have gone easier. He was real professional. Um, healed a room with him and Al Green, which was pretty much a harrowing experience. I'll leave it at that. Um, she put the cot halfway out on the balcony. This is a shoot in um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina proceeded to strip down naked. It was probably 40, 50 degrees. And the balconies, you know, gusts are coming in, but he's sleeping on the balcony there. The cot halfway in the room, halfway out. Al Green is in the room again with me and again naked. It's freezing cold there. I'm fully dressed because I'm a Florida guy and this was just killing me. So they're keeping me up all night with Sheik snoring and Al Green telling these stories when he was in a biker gang and the initiations they had with young guys that were good looking like me, didn't sleep a wink, didn't sleep a wink. Next day at the airport, we get together the two crews and I met Flair and Arn at uh, TV. And, you know, of course was respectful to them and being a huge Mark and a huge fan. And they were just, you know, nice guys. They go, kid, what's wrong? You look horrible, you know, circles under my eyes. I hadn't slept at all. So I give them a story. Flair just spits orange juice out on the, seat in front of him on the plane he goes oh don't worry kid from now on you ride with us so that became a literal 32 year friendship he just moved down here to tampa and uh actually i just got back uh, rick and i just got back from chicago yesterday went to go visit mongo another one of the wcw stalwarts who's unfortunately really fighting for his life he's in a tough battle with als and, yeah uh, it was real tough but we've been four times to see him and you know it really really uh cheers mongo up when we go see him and he's an amazing human being i'll tell you it's it's really tough but uh, his wife and you know his little girl i keep in my prayers every day but uh so yeah that was um <clears throat> that was the start of a great friendship rick myself arn and you know Barry <laughs> and um 
you know, I, I just can't say enough about them, how much they taught me about everything, about life, about the wrestling business, um, you know, and just the friends that they've been through, through decades of friendship, literally. And imagine, you know, like you, just a huge fan, a huge mark. And one minute you're going from anonymity and you're wrestling Iron Sheik, you know, Alan Iron, you're going, the, the genesis of that name, Oli's real name, as you know, is Alan, and I'm going to say it the wrong way, Rogowitz, Alan, something like that. So the rib was on Oli, because I was Oli's guy. Oli liked me, said, oh, this kid's a good-looking kid. You know, let's sign him. So that's where Alan Iron even came from. They wanted to do the Indian character, but they gave me the Alan first name, due to Oli's first name being Alan. Um, so, yeah, then the horsemen taking me under the wing and, you know, literally just running the, the circuit with them for the next – I think a year and a half or so. Then I went home, I was released and, and really I didn't belong in that spot at all. And had a death in the family, unfortunately my mother died of cancer. Came home, finished college, opened up my first business with my father, which is a bar called Cherries in Ybor City. All the boys used to come there, you know, when uh, whenever we run in Tampa and Flair would run the localized promos, all the girls, no boyfriends allowed, will be at Cherries in Ybor City. You know, we'd do a $20,000 Saturday night. It was crazy. Um, and then that got the bug going again, you know, after a couple of years of being home. And, you know, Rick's like, hey, why don't you come up here? I'm, you know, in a position like committee. So I went back for a couple more years, 95 through 98, and uh, had a tremendous time there. Under the name Desperado Joe Gomez, my real name. Of course. That was a Jimmy Hart creation. Right. Excellent. We will get to that very soon. I've got a whole heap of questions about that period of your career. Um, okay. So I, I, now I know why uh, you left. You just kind of explained it there. Um, I, I also want well, to I ask you. You know, when I was lucky to be there, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, I was supposed to be, you know, practicing at the power plant. <laughs> right. And Rick or, or Kevin, you know, later on as Desperado Gomez, they would call, come on, you're coming with us on the road but I was supposed to be in Atlanta for four days going through my paces, the power plant. And this was on me, not on them. Yeah. Because, you know, you're getting asked to go Rick Flair. You're going to go anywhere. Right. Um, but I should have stayed there and gone through my paces and really worked hard at it. You know, with Sarge and the guys down there, you know, at the power plant. And I did, you know, to be honest, everything in life, you know, I was really a fortunate kid for being adopted only child like Rick and uh, having wonderful parents and just wonderful friends in my life and, and a lot of different opportunities. Um, but WCW wasn't paying me to be a businessman. They were paying me to be a professional wrestler. Yeah. And that wasn't my 100% focus like it should have been in hindsight. Fair enough. Uh, I did notice during this run, you teamed a bit with Tim Horner. Uh, yeah. Just wanted to, any time I saw that you had a bit of a, a run with someone in a team, just wanted to uh, get, you know, uh, your thoughts on uh, working with them? Unbelievable. Um, and one of Aaron's best friends. So Timmy and I, you know, obviously really hit it off. And he would, you know, ride with us as well. And great guy, tremendous talent. Um, and just a wealth of knowledge of the business. So smooth. You know, guys like him, Ricky Morton. I mean, you would just watch them and just go, how do they make it look? Unreal. Timmy Horton was a real talent who later on with Smoky Mountain, got more of a push that he deserved, you know, but right. a guy like him and Brad Armstrong, just unbelievable talents. And, you know, WCW was just, that was the land of the big guys, you know, and, mm. you know, the, maybe their promo skills weren't 
you know, where it needed to be perhaps. But those guys, as far as performing in the ring, as good as anyone. Excellent. Um, I, again, I, I do as much deep research as I can, but the internet can be a little bit uh, unhelpful sometimes. Uh, things can get mixed up. I think sure. this is correct. Let me know if I'm wrong. 1994, I believe you work in IWA in Puerto Rico? Yeah. Well, I've been to Puerto Rico a few times. That's correct. Right. Okay, cool. Um, I just wanted to know uh, the experience of working in Puerto Rico. It's a different world uh, down there uh, as far as the fans are concerned. Totally different. I was really fortunate enough with Steve Kern, who trained me and is still one of my dearest friends to this day and just a tremendous person. Um, Through Steve's friendships and, you know, connections and 45 years in the business, you know, he was able to get me booked in Puerto Rico, we would run the Bahamas on a regular basis with Steve and Mike and that whole Florida championship crew in between my, uh, my contractual years with WCW. Yeah. Uh, but Puerto Rico was a lot of fun. The fans were just so passionate and fervent. I was a baby face, so I had a lot easier than the heels. But Kevin Sullivan, I've seen getting through batteries at, trying to stab him. I mean, they really thought he was the devil. So it was, it was a, an eye-opening experience, to say the least. I can imagine, especially with Kevin Sullivan being there. Oh, uh, <laughs> he is the devil, I can tell you that. He really is. <laughs> no, that's excellent. Uh, I wanted to also follow up talking about that. Um, again, in the research, uh, you did a bit of time in Japan there for IWA, if uh, I believe that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I mean, uh, it looked like a, an incredible learning experience, I would think, because you work with the likes of uh, Dick Murdoch, Dick Slater, Bill DeMott, uh, Hiroshi Ono, Leatherface, Gangrel, Tajiri. I could go on. There was a bunch of uh, opponents that I'd seen there uh, on, online. Um, tell me about that experience. Uh, again, over there, it was just tremendous. The fans, the people, they're so passionate about the business. You know, uh, our fans here are great. Don't get me wrong. And I'm still flattered when somebody remembers me or like yourself and remembers, you know, my career that I, I had. And, um, and it's, it's nice. It really is nice to be remembered that way, but over in Japan or so, I mean, it, it was crazy. I mean, I was, you know, young and I guess I had a certain look that was appealing. I mean, they would follow us literally around the country. It was crazy. It was kind of like being, I don't know, like when they say the British invasion, of the Beatles here, yeah. It was kind of like that when we went over there to Japan, you know, um, had, a, had a great time, made a lot of good friends, um, a lot of friendships and just great memories. Just seeing the countryside, the food, the people. And subsequently, I've opened two sushi bars since my time in Japan. Sushi on 7th, which is a huge deal in Ybor City and later Sakana. So that definitely influenced me in a big way. Very cool. Um, I uh, also uh, noticed in my research it was a few years later after your time in Japan, um, but I was surprised by this. I didn't know that this happened. 23rd of January, 1996 in San Jose, California, uh, Joe Gomez teams with the Brooklyn Brawler against the Godwins on WWF Superstars. Uh, it, did this happen? No, I, I don't know who that could have been. No, I know there's another Joe Gomez out of Puerto Rico, but he's more recent. Right. So I think somebody must have gotten their signals crossed. The Godwins and I are dear friends. Dennis and I broke in in Florida. Right. But no, I've never worked for WWE. I've got a lot of good friends there, but uh, never had the 
privileged to work for that company. Fair enough. Uh, I knew that the internet would get me uh, with one of these questions uh, here today, and it has. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was onto a little nugget of information there, but well, actually, uh, <laughs> you've done a great job so far. I got to tell you, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. I've, I'm doing. I'll do my best because uh, I always want to do my best when I have guys like you on the show, um, because you know you, you get interviews with you know a lot of your Ric Flair's and your Steve Austin. You've you've heard these guys get interviewed a million times sure. guys like you that there are stories there that you know you you wouldn't get otherwise because you know you're not getting on the uh, podcast circuit every single week so it means sure. a lot to me to get your your story out there um well, thank you uh may 1996 uh how does it come about that you make your return to wcw at this point um i guess uh Hang with Flair, they got you back in? Well, you know, I always maintain a good relationship with the boys. You know, John Laurinaitis from WWE is one of my dearest friends. Um, so, you know, Flair and Arn and I always stayed close whenever, you know, either the companies would come to town, they'd come to Cherries, they'd come to Sushan 7. Yeah. And uh, my father died um, for that in October. So I was... Uh, you know, um, I guess in my morning period or whatever, I was just kind of, you know, just wanted to get away. You know, I had a, a restaurant here that he helped me open, Cherries, my first business, and I had some great partners there, so they were able to take care of it for me. And, you know, I just went and saw some of my friends that were playing baseball, went out with them, stayed out there for a month, and uh, Arn called me and just said, hey, he and Rick, you know, we can get you in WCW, do you want to come back to the business? You know, and I thought it would probably be a good thing just to get away. Um, right. you know, I was the only child that was my only family that had uh, remaining except for my friends, my uh, close friends. So it, it was good for me. It really was, actually. And it was great for them to, to uh, you know, help pave the way, so to speak. So I went out there. Uh, Eric had me do some tryout matches, you know, just to see how it worked. And my work had progressed to a certain degree from that time because i was working independence and stuff i still love the business yeah and was able to work some independence along with puerto rico and the other gigs you had mentioned so they signed me and uh that was my second stint with wcw excellent excellent yes my research again my my illustrious research uh, <laughs> after working house shows with vk wall street uh for those out there yeah. mr rotunda yeah. Um, on the 17th of June 96, you make your WCW Monday Nitro debut with a victory over Disco Inferno. Okay, wow. now, now your dream's coming true a second time because you yeah. get signed to WCW again right when we are getting to the hottest period in wrestling history. More people watching wrestling than ever before. You're on live Monday Nitro. You get a win. How exciting was this for you as WCW was on the rise? That's you. You. I couldn't have said it any better. Because the first time when I was at WCW, it was more of a regional approach. Granted, we were owned by Turner Broadcasting, you know, mm. but we were one of hundreds of multi-million dollar companies under the umbrella of Turner Broadcasting. So it was still, you know, regionalized. You know, I mean, the boys were playing cards backstage with Colonel Parker and, and Barbarian, you know, and it was, it was just kind of more of a family setting, more of a smaller setting. Now, jump to 96, you know, we're 
appearing in colleges uh, because we're going after that, you know, that Zan uh, Brezov really went after the college uh, target market groups and the numbers were just unbelievable. We'd have 20,000 people, 25,000 people. And it was, it was like a rock star. It was like yeah. you were on a traveling band supporting an album you know, you're uh, Van Halen in their heyday or Def Leppard in their heyday. And it was just, it was crazy. It really was. And for that whole 83 week period, when we were beating WWE, you know, we had Ray Mysterio going out there, tearing it down with Juventud Guerrero, you know, Eddie, God rest his soul, and uh, Benoit, and those guys were just tearing it down with the opening matches. Nobody could, nobody could keep up with that. You know, then we had, Nash and Macho and Flair and all the stalwart names that were legends. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was an unbeatable formula, you know, until some cracks started to appear and stuff. And I think Eric was just really stressed out, you know, mm. because it was tough to keep that machine going, you know, and, and remember when you have a roster of you know, hundred guys, I guess 30 or 40 of them in the line, like somebody's got to do a job, <laughs> you know, so I, I can only, and I would be with Kevin Sullivan. I'd travel with Kevin and again, Rick and Arn. And he would literally have to rewrite Nitro on the fly, literally. After he had everything planned because, and I won't name names, but this guy, you know, he's got uh, creative control. And he didn't mm. feel good about doing that. Where this guy might be friends with Eric. And it really created a lot of, tra and that was really, I think where the chink in the armor and everything started to fall apart there. You know, kind of the, asylum the inmates running the asylum so to speak yeah yeah i i think as a fan when me and all my friends as fans we're, we're probably about 11 12 years old at the time yeah i think the most frustrating thing would be uh most of those matches with the with the bigger names would always end in a dq there'd be a big run in no one wanted to lose the match, I suppose. And, and we after it was fine at the beginning we didn't care at the beginning because everything was so great but then it just got, oh my God, again, another DQ. <laughs> and, and there you go. And you're a huge fan, but yeah. you can't keep leaving you, you guys empty, you know, without that, mm. that finish, you know, and unfortunately I think we went too well too many times. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. And we were, we were on fire. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. You know, then the NWO became watered down. All of a sudden you had 30 members in the NWO. I think that kind of led to its demise too. You know, there was a lot of things. It really was, but I don't yeah. think it was all Eric's fault. Because remember, Eric came up with that idea for the invasion. Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, I agree. Great to be a part of it. And the night I wrestled Mongo, my dear friend. Yes. Was the night that uh, the NWO was born. So right, I, of course. I'm really. I have such good memories of that whole night, um, you know, and then when that whole. Angle just popped and then business never went back to the same. It was an un unbelievable time. Right, of course. Yeah, I had that next in my uh, line of questioning, working with uh, Steve at Bash of the Beach 96. Just didn't even, it didn't even <laughs> jump into my mind at all when I wrote this down, that this was the same night that Hogan joined the NWO. Um, oh, yeah. I think maybe you might be the first person that I've interviewed that was actually on this show. Um, so I guess I have to ask you, um, were you watching as this took place? Were you watching the monitor? Could you? Oh, we all were. Yeah, we all wanted to see what the payoff was. Right. Okay. Mound of garbage and <laughs> drinks and sodas that was thrown in the ring. Never seen it since or before. It was just, it was such a huge moment in the wrestling industry, you know, for the ultimate babyface 
to turn the way that he did, tremendous. Mm -hmm. And it was just played out so well, too. I mean, it was really, it was a history-making night, and I was honored to be on the card and to be a part of it. Excellent, excellent. Um, okay, uh, i I got to ask, um, usually at this point in the interview, I usually ask this one. Um, stories of partying at the hotel after the show, there's got to be something, something that you can say. <laughs> I'll say this. I was with the nature boy. Um, he's still one of my dearest friends and he lived his gimmick and I had a lot of fun with him. Um, you know, I guess I was a young guy. They would call me the carrot. So, uh, you know, I was young and, uh, I guess a, a good looking guy. So, um, <laughs> you know, I had to earn my stripes to be, uh, riding with the horseman, so to speak, but, uh, <laughs> No, we do. We had, we, you know what? It was all good, innocent fun. We had a lot of great times, met a lot of great fans around the country, um, you know, and just running with those guys. I remember my parents back in 90, my first year, they gave me a credit card. They said, put everything on here. They were very, very, you know, conservative, very good with their finances, what have you. I unfortunately, until probably 10 years ago, was not. So my first year, I made $52,000, a week, a lot of money for a young kid. But I spent like $78,000 because I was running around with the horsemen. They just couldn't quite understand that, you know. So I had to have a Rolex watch. I had to have a Halliburton, even though there was nothing in it, you know. But I wanted to be <laughs> like Ric Flair, you know. Um, so, but it was some of the best times of my life. Um, given that some people were married at the time and everything else i'm just gonna say we had a we had a great time <laughs> great friendships and uh you know we were able to see the world together and uh, i'll never forget it <laughs> no problem um and i could just imagine you know a, a joe gomez from 1996 that that head of hair i'm sure you were very popular with the ladies <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what i did okay i did okay um <laughs> like i said i was just you know, it was, it was one of those pinch me moments, you know, I'm running around in my whole life. I always wanted to be like Ric Flair, like Arn Anderson. You know, I love the wrestling business. Barry Windham, you know, idolized him growing up. And I'm in the ring and actually getting to work with some of the greatest workers of all time. Cause that era, those are some of the greatest ever. For my money, Barry Windham, Ricky Steamboat, greatest baby yeah. greatest ever. So mm -hmm. just to watch these guys ply their craft and then ride for three or four hours in the car, of course I was driving. Uh, young jabroni um and just to hear the 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 psychology and everything those are the best times of my life you know and arn anderson literally the funniest man on earth I, i'm sure you've probably heard that yeah king of the one-liners just the funniest <laughs> guy ever and just the times we had were amazing literally some of the best times of my life and i've i've been one lucky guy and those are some of the best times of my life truly Excellent, excellent. Uh, I have to bring this thing up because, uh, and I know, I know you probably don't like this, uh, but it was uh, a promo video that went out. Uh, uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, Chris Cruz uh, is introducing it on WCW Prime, and he says, uh, "Check out this for you know following package. Uh, the in crowd here, the young guys from WCW. It's Renegade. It's Alex Wright. It's Jim Powers." It's Joe Gomez. You're walking. You take off the shirt. You keep walking. <laughs> it's. I'll never live it down. Never live it down. It's and champagne you know, viewing. You know who got me the best? Scott Hall. God rest his soul. Scott was a good friend and great guy. So after they 
filmed that promo and you know it aired scott goes man chief that's great i go really scott he goes yeah he goes you know those guys all got out there and they're all cut up and you know they had their abs and everything and you just took your shirt off and you didn't care you had your derby out there and i'm like oh man come on scott you know he he just got me good but uh he was always a good friend and always tried to give me advice yeah. but my one vice i wasn't a drinker never done drugs not a drug guy but i do love my food so eric would plead with me can't you get abs you got a million dollar look and blah, 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 blah. didn't happen so <laughs> you know not everyone you know can uh, can get it and that's fine there's nothing listen, wrong with that listen if they went by that, Dusty Rhodes would have never existed. Right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. And I'm not comparing myself to Dream in any way, shape, or form. But <sighs> well, when you were when you were out there f- filming that video, did any yeah. of you say? Did any of you say to each other like, "Gosh, is this going to be? Is this going to be any good?" You know, you guys talking amongst yourselves about about what you were doing then. No, because you know, Renegade they put him in a tough spot too. Yeah. And I knew Rick, ironically, I knew Rick from Tampa. He was a former um, male dancer, you know, yeah. like he would perform in a troupe and yeah. they would do their nightclubs. Well, I was in the nightclub business, owning restaurants or bars and managing them. So I would actually know a lot of those guys from them performing in the clubs. Rick was always a good guy. Then we ran into each other again, you know, eight years later in WCW. So he was put in an almost impossible spot. You know, they had him doing the ultimate warrior gimmick. Yeah. He had, like me, hardly any experience. We were both green as goose shit. What do you think is going to happen? You know, and all he was was being built up for Hogan to get the win back, you know, against. So this was something in an effort to kind of repackage because they had us tag team together as well. Yeah. To try to repackage Rick and maybe do something myself, maybe catch fire. Jim Powers, again, after being WWE for quite probably the majority of his career, effort to repackage him. And Alex Wright, too, who's a great guy. Mm. So I think we all just did our best with it. Yeah. Um, you know, anytime when they're going to do that, something like that, and spend money on you. And Jimmy Hart was really behind it. Jimmy Hart is such a creative guy. I know you know that. Uh, he did a lot of the songs for the, the, the legendary songs for WWE, like Hulkster Song. And, a lot of the other ones. And when he came to WCW, that was kind of his niche on the booking committee. He'd come up with different gimmicks for the guys and everything and really get behind it and put a lot of hard work into it. So I think we were more just flattered and, you know, kind of honored that they put that thought and effort into us and energy into us. Yeah. To be yeah. I mean, no matter what anyone thinks of it, it's still great that they, they, they were doing something and, you know, uh, putting you out there on TV. I mean, how much money does it cost for 15 minutes of airing something on television? So uh, it's it's a lot of money being being put in. So, uh, and they they want to give you guys that opportunity. And, and speaking of Renegade, uh, did he ever confide with you at all after that TV title run he had? They took the belt off him. Uh, you were teaming together. Um, did he ever tell you, you know, how he felt about that? Was it, did it bother him that, you know, he, that they gave up on him so quickly and cause they pushed him so hard, but he was green. There was nothing he could do about it. They should have known better. I've, I've always felt really bad for him because I feel like they didn't really try 
you know, they they just, they just let it burn out. They they should have known ahead of time that they're professionals. They should have known ahead of time that it, uh, a, a green guy wouldn't be able to handle that spot that quickly. Um, did he ever confide in you? Yeah, I mean, Rick and I were obviously we were friends from back home. Then when we were put, you know, together to tag and we traveled together, um, we were able to talk a lot, you know. And yeah, it definitely bothered Rick, but he understood the way the business was. It was such a they're going to throw something out there. If it doesn't catch fire pretty quick, they're going to move on to the next thing because they have to. Because remember, this is a time when, you know, granted, we were beating WWE for two years. Yeah. But the ratings were starting to go the other way. So now they're kind of getting a little desperate to get the next, you know, the only breakout star we ever developed pretty much in that time was Bill Goldberg. So they were trying to get the next breakout star, just throw pretty much stuff against the wall. He knew that he was going to be the sacrificial lamb for uh, for Hulkster. You know, obviously they were building him up, building him up to get that back. But uh, you know, he understood that he he went in there way undermanned. You know, he was green. He didn't have the experience and the knowledge. Um, you know, but that wasn't really when he got released, and you know, he uh, unfortunately he had broken up with a young lady, and that was kind of pretty much that. You know. Uh, Put it over the edge yeah um but he was just a real good guy country guy just a nice 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 young man and it was real sad yeah it so, is yeah he's only 33. he understood, he understood the business yeah and you know it's just it's up to us in no way is that anybody else's fault they gave us the platform in my case i should have practiced more i should have probably gotten in in the best shape that I could have gotten into, absolutely, without a doubt. And I, I even apologize, Eric, we're doing a panel on wealth after wrestling and whatever, and talking about, you know, success stories after wrestling. And I even apologize. So I said, dude, listen, <laughs> you paid me really good money and you had faith in me. He goes, no, he goes, Joe, I always, uh, I always admired the way you leveraged yourself and it was able to open different business and everything. And that was really cool, you know, and Eric was always good to me and real fair to me. A lot of the guys in my time, they had a lawsuit against WCW. I know you're aware of that. And there were some of the other, obviously me being portrayed as a Native American with a Hispanic last name. I was asked to join that lawsuit. I didn't want to because I don't think I, 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 I anything that happened to me was of my own volition. It was because I didn't prepare myself properly. I didn't practice properly. It had nothing to do with discrimination from WCW. They were great to me. Yeah. You know? so, but, uh, you know, Rick, Rick, I think he saw the writing on the wall. He kind of knew, you know, definitely. Right. Um, yeah, I, as uh, you brought up Eric Bischoff, I did look at a clip on YouTube. Uh, he talked about you in this clip, and uh, he, he said that you had all the tools to you could cut a good promo you had a great look you were great in the ring if if only he wasn't so good at so many other things he would have <laughs> well uh, I'm, you know what and that's high praise i'm really flattered and eric was always good to me and that that really makes me feel uh good and i know i'm glad that i was able to air that to him and apologize to him because he paid yeah. me really really well and that's on me you know, um, I've been fortunate in life and, and I guess we, I, I think we kind of all end up where we're, where we're supposed to be anyhow. You know what I mean? Maybe it wasn't in the cards for me to become one. 
a world champion or anything. That's okay. Everything's worked out fine for me. I've got a wonderful family and beautiful 12 year old daughter, but uh, you know, there's always that where you wish or you wonder, you know, what if, you know what I mean? Um, because I know that I could have done better in terms of athletic ability without a question. And ironically, I would have a better match now probably than I would then because when you go work the independence, you work as a top guy. You think I'm going to get my stuff in. I know when I was in WCW, I would let guys lay the match out for me out of respect. Okay. I'm not going to tell a barbarian or a Haku, even though they're dear, dear friends of mine, Hey, let's do this, this, and this, and this, but that's how you should have done it. You know, and then later I go back, hey, Barb, what happened to the, you know, drop kick, drop kick, boom, arm drag, boom, off the top rope. Oh, Joe, my English, not so good. <laughs> you know, so the guys, would, you know, and they never ate me up. I got along great with everybody. You know, I give respect. I get respect. I, I had a lot of great relationships there. But the nature of the business is you take, you take until somebody cuts you off or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. So, I didn't learn that until I worked the independence or went over to Puerto Rico or went somewhere else. And, and then you realize, oh, wow, this is how I should have done it when I was there. Right. Good, great insight. Love it. I wanted to continue talking about your team with uh, Renegade. Six wins, yeah. eight losses in tag action. Uh, and then I noticed uh, there was a point in time where uh, he turned on you, so there's going to be a bit of a, an angle between the two of you. You worked three yeah. matches, May 5th, 97 in Lakeland, Florida, May 13th in Salisbury, yeah. Maryland, and May 27th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Research. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Uh, so these are the I remember singles. Lakeland. I didn't remember the other two, but I remember Lakeland. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so uh, did anyone explain to you why they wanted to split the team up at that point? I guess... Uh, You'd only had 14 tag matches on television together. Um, uh, and how did you like having them? How, how did you like the feud? I mean, it, it, it only went for a short while there, but. It wasn't much because, again, they were shotgunning everything. And if of stuff course. didn't catch on, you know, and you didn't see the ratings move in that quarter hour because they have it broken down to a quarter hour. I mean, they've mm. got it down, you know, to a science. So if they're not seeing the ratings move, they're not going to continue to give it airtime because remember every week WWE was catching up. So they had to, you know, hot shot stuff, see if something would catch fire, you know, try to see if it moved the numbers, move the ratings, you know, and that's on Rick and I, you know, maybe we didn't tell a compelling enough story. Maybe our skill level wasn't advanced enough to mm. tell a compelling enough story. You know, um, if I watched the tapes, I'd probably say, yeah, okay. I wouldn't buy that either. So, um, you know, I think at that time, neither one of us had the ability or the experience to tell a compelling enough story. You know, so wasn't going to be uh, Flair coming back to WCW after WWE and him and Arn going after each other for the title. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but hey, listen, I'm honored they gave me the opportunity. I do wish that I would have done probably cut back on some of the other stuff. I didn't have to have, you know, as many businesses concurrently as I did or whatever, you know, if I would just stuck to that one thing wrestling, you know, do I, yeah, I would have loved to see how things would turn out. Yeah. But like I said, everything turned out pretty darn well for me now. I can't complain. That's great to hear. Uh, you, you spend the rest of 97, you work with Meng, 
Buff Bagwell, Conan, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Bradley, and Dave Taylor. But my research into your time in WCW abruptly stops uh, because July 30th, 97, we don't see you after that until March of 1999. Uh, did something happen here? Was it an injury? Please let me know. No, just, you know, a lot of times when you're under contract, and again, we're a big company. You know, you're talking about probably 150 guys, 130 guys on a contract. If you're not being used, you just kind of stay home. Sometimes you go to TV, sometimes you don't. Right. You know, and it wasn't that I was like taking checks and saying, ah, I'm getting over on them. But I had other things going on too. Now, yeah. should I be going to the power plant practicing saying, hey guys, let me get this angle here, giving ideas to the booking committee. And I'm friends with the booking committee. I mean, I'm riding with Kevin you know, uh, Nate, Paul Orndorff, Jimmy Hart. I'm literally friends with all these guys. So I didn't take advantage of what I could have. Absolutely. And looking back as a businessman, and I'm a real good businessman, in looking back at it, I, 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 I didn't consider it business, you know, because I was in this fairy tale land that I, you know, grew up loving. And I didn't realize, hey, the guy's the the powers that make you or break you, I'm friends with. I'm driving with them. I'm riding with them every week. But I never pulled that, played that card. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad because I don't, that's not me. You know, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that people. either. Yeah. Um, it was on me to, to get better. And I just, yeah. I really didn't do it. I'll be honest. So that was probably a period of time where I just stayed home. They paid you, you know, it was guaranteed money. You're paid by Turner Broadcast. You get your check every two weeks. So if they don't have something for you, just stay home. But the smart guys, Disco Inferno, Glenn's got a great mind for the business, are sending ideas to the writers. They're calling, they're mm -hmm. going to the power plant because he lived in Atlanta. I lived in Tampa, hour flight, but I had a couple bars here. I had a million dollar sushi restaurant open that was really the first, it was kind of that type. So I had my hands full too, um, but really it should have just been that, you know, vision quest, that, that single-minded approach towards wrestling in hindsight, I really yep. wish, but. So the return, uh, you return on WCW Saturday night, March 3rd, 99 against Johnny Swinger in Rock Hill, South Carolina for a win. Uh, yeah. uh, you also wrestled Bobby Eaton at the same taping, I believe. Uh, as it was a taping, so you also picked up a win over him. And then the final match you perform in for WCW is April 13th, 99, at the Idaho Center in Boise, Idaho, with a win over the Gambler. Uh, oh. Did you know that this was it for you in WCW? You got three wins there. You're on a, you're on a hot streak here. Well, you know, I just, I can't say I didn't know that they, were, that they weren't going to ruin my contract, but I can't say I was surprised either. You know, them giving me some wins, that was really nice. And I'm sure that was more Kevin Sullivan, you know, the booker, who is a dear friend of mine. Um, I'm sure that was just more, you know, him just being a friend, maybe trying to see if something catches fire again, seeing it, you know what I mean? Seeing if there was, if there was something there, try to give it a last chance shot to see if something got hot, perhaps. Um, I can't say, but I, I, was I surprised? No, because I didn't put the effort into, if I'd have put, as much effort into my wrestling career as I did any of my other businesses, you know, I think the outcome would have been a lot different without a question, but yeah. uh, you know, so no, I think that was just them being really great to me. Like they always were. Um, I think they respect the fact that I chose not to 
engage in that lawsuit. Yeah. Um, you know, because when Terry Taylor told me, you know, because Terry's probably booking me too, I said, Terry, I have no ill will towards anything. It's all on me. You know, it was, you guys gave me a platform, an opportunity, you know, in front of 10 million people a week to get over. That's on us as performers. So, uh, you know, I yep. suffered no discrimination whatsoever. Hell, I was treated great. That's great to hear. Um, okay, so the time in WCW uh, is over at that point. Uh, again, a couple more questions here, Joe, before we sail off into the sunset. Uh, sure. I believe, again, tell me if I'm wrong, because this th there might be another Joe Gomez, but is it true that you teamed with Tatanka in November of 2001 in Essex, England? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> I did, uh, no, I did like a two-and-a-half-month tour in England with Tatanka. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, still looks like a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's the guy that is a professional wrestler through to his core. It's his business. It still is his business. He's still out there outperforming guys half his age. You know, guy's a tremendous athlete. You know, had a couple of cups of coffee. I want to say with the Dolphins as yeah. a linebacker. Tremendous athlete. And a good guy for you to interview, actually. But he is still on top of his game. Going over to England, he's, he, he taught me a lot as a businessman in terms of how he does his merchandise and everything and just how seriously he takes it. Really good guy. I learned a lot from him on that tour, actually. Great guy. That's cool to hear. Um, I wanted to find out if I was correct in my research for when you had your final in-ring performance. Tell me if I'm wrong, March 30th, 2006 for MXPW. Where, where, oh gosh, you got me, 2006. Okay, that sounds about the right time frame. When would that be? I'll, uh, I've got my computer here um, on this okay. page where I found it. Uh, Hollywood, Florida. Oh, okay. uh, against Cahagas? Cahagas, yeah. Cahagas. He's still, <laughs> he's still working in independence. Great guy, yes. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was down in uh, Hollywood, Davie, Florida, actually, where my, uh, my accountant was based out of. Yeah, they would draw down there at uh, Bergeron Rodeo Arena, and, and Dream was down there, too. Not then, but I'd been on some cards down there with Dusty as well, and they would draw. That was a nice place to real family type environment and they probably put 3,000, 4,000 there, that which is a lot for an indie show, as you know. Yeah. And uh, he'd get Dust Rose in there on top, Kevin Sullivan. He'd get a lot of good names down there. So yes, I was. And Cahagas, tremendous match. Tremendous guy. Awesome to hear. Uh, I wanted to know how have you remained involved uh, with the business since you retired? Because in my research, again, I heard, I read someone write something about you and they, they said that you've done a lot of helping out for people, uh, helping them uh, out with like a place to stay, helping them out with, uh, uh, I can't remember everything that they said, but like yeah. uh, some uh, younger talent and all that, you know, you've, you've, you've helped people out along well, the way. Well, when WWE um, first moved their developmental system from Atlanta, it was all done in a real shroud of secrecy. Like in the middle of the night, they moved everything here with Johnny Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, asked me, uh, kid, you got somewhere I could put the rings? So I said, all right, yeah, we'll put it at our gym over here. So we put it at our gym and actually had the rings in the aerobics studio of a ring. 
we had a, a batting cage here in Tampa until we finally found location. It took Ty Bailey and I probably six months to find the warehouse that subsequently became Florida Championship Wrestling. So that's why I was there. And, you know, I've got rental properties now, numerous rental properties. So Johnny had all the young boys that came over from England, Seamus from Ireland, um, Drew McIntyre, and all the young boys would all go through their paces, but they would stay at my house because they didn't have social security. They didn't have credit. So okay. I let them stay there and, you know, take real good care of the boys. And, and you know how it is. That's the nature of the business. You always want to, you know, kind of give back. And um, so Johnny had me, you know, real involved with that. And then subsequently they've moved to Orlando now. So, but I've still got a lot of great friendships with a lot of younger talent. Fandango is one of my best friends. And oh, cool. Just, yeah, great guys, really are. And I got to know a lot of younger, the DiBiases, just you name it, you know. Uh, Joe Roman, when he was here, um, um, the twins, uh, Bella twins, uh, just all the guys. We got to know everybody. It was a real tight knit group. So, but that's really about it, you know. Now, I mean, aside from going with Rick, we're going to practice tomorrow because he's got a match coming up. Um, really not that much, you know, in terms of hands-on. I'm, I'm just so busy, you know, with my own things. But yeah. I still watch the product whenever I can. You know, I'll go see Arn up at AEW. You know, he's a producer up there, and his son's getting a break now. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's about it, really. The WWE product, I really don't watch that much. Don't go to shows that much. Um, so it's really about it. You know, just keep in touch with a lot of guys. To be That's honest. cool. Excellent. Uh, and my last question before I get to my final little segment. Uh, yeah. I found this in my research. Again, this was something that Dave Meltzer put in one of his um, newsletters. I don't know what year. Well, uh, got to be true then. <laughs> I, think it was, <laughs> I think it was after you left WCW. But it said former WCW wrestler Joe Gomez appeared on one of those daytime court TV shows. Apparently, he was part of a deal where a woman bid on a date with him for a charity auction. She bid $500 and won the date, but Gomez never went out with her. The judge threw out the case. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> it was a, uh, I, I was still in a contract because I had to ask Kevin if I could do it. Right, um, okay. It was the Judge Joe Brown. Oh, okay. <laughs> the girl won me in a, it was a celebrity charity auction. I don't know what it was, but it was an auction of some sort. And I never took her on a date just because I forgot about it. And she was actually a very pretty young lady, very nice, very sweet, but I forgot about it. I was on the road, you know, even then, yeah. still four days a week. Never remembered. All of a sudden, I, I, I'm getting sued. And I think it was more than 500. It was like maybe 1,500, but it was in small enough claims court then the producers saw it and they thought it was funny, professional wrestler being sued for not taking a girl on a date. <laughs> so they set me a deal that no matter what, if I lose, they're going to pay the settlement, the judgment against me. If I win, everything is good. So I said, okay, I'll do it. They flew me out to LA um, and did the Judge Joe Brown show. Kevin told me to do it in character and I won. So I said, oh, I wasn't sure. She started stalking me, you know, kind of did a little, you know. <laughs> In, in character, so to speak. And the girl was really, pretty, she was pretty mad. She got her money back, but she was still pretty, because the court reporter, Doug Llewellyn, or Doug something, I think, said, oh, well, what about now? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to take her out and, you know, kind of mend the fences. And she's just, uh, no. Yeah, she was definitely one no part of it. So 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. That was a oh God. I forgot about that. Judge Joe Brown. <laughs> I'm gonna have to try and find the episode somewhere. I need to see this, but uh... <laughs> it was funny. It was really funny. I remember. Awesome, Joe. Well, um, I got to get to my final segment here, Joe, yeah. of the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. It's I don't know why I called it that because. The rule was that you're supposed to answer uh, every question within five seconds, but most pro wrestlers can't answer a question in five seconds. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, quick fire questions for quick fire answers. Number one, Joe Gomez, who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time? Ric Flair. Excellent choice. Uh, favorite op- opponent that you had over the years? On Anderson, world TV title. Excellent choice, of course. Uh, if you could pick one match that you look back on most fondly, what would it be? Tag match against the Horseman. Excellent. And I was I was really obviously pumped, and when I got in the ring against Nate, and he said, "Come on, kid, let's see what you got." I was like, "Oh, this is really happening," you know. So yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, then Arn came in. Come on, Chief. Oh God, yeah, you could have. I could have died right there and been happy. Excellent. I'm really uh, enjoying the impersonations as well. Uh, (laughs) Moving away from wrestling. He says he doesn't sound like that, but I can assure you he does. (laughs) Uh, Moving away from wrestling now, uh, favorite book? Ooh. I got to go to the Bible. I don't read it as much as I should, but I'm still going to say that's the one that I try to and part of my daughter, and I think that's one that can teach us the most. So, yes, I'll say the Bible. Excellent choice. Uh, favorite TV show? Ooh, Sopranos. Ah, oh, my favorite too. Excellent. There you go. We got so much in common, bro. I'm telling you. How about Chopper Reed? You know Chopper Reed? <laughs> Love Chopper ah. Reed. <laughs> uh, favorite film? Godfather. Excellent, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, and the, the next one is favorite musical artist or band. Betty Owen. Excellent, excellent. I gotta They're be I, I gotta be a rock and roll guy. It's a toss-up with them and Led Zeppelin, but I'm gonna go Van Halen just because they're an American band. Excellent, excellent. Um, although I love ACDC too. Shout out oh, to you guys. I like it. I like it. Uh Moving away from the arts now, Joe, favorite food? Italian. (laughs) Chicken parm. Nice. My best friend and I hear every time, and he's he's a shooting Italian. Every time we go, he gets chicken parm all the time. So I I usually I follow suit. So yeah, I'm gonna go chicken parm. Lovely. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road. I'm going to say Gibson's just because Nate and I were just in Chicago and uh, phenomenal. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gibson's. Chicago. Cool. Uh, favorite beverage? You're thirsty, Joe. What will you reach for? Wow. Your listeners are going to find this really, really boring, <laughs> but I'm going to say water. Nothing wrong with that answer. Yeah, I'm not a drinker, you know, I'm not, you know, and I had to have two beers and I were Nate at uh, Gibson's um, and two at the airport yesterday. But uh, yeah, I'm going to say water. Nothing wrong with that answer, I'm telling you. And if you anyone out there disputes that, I'm sorry, water is underrated. Okay. 
Second last one, Joe. The naughtiest one of five second frenzy. Favorite female body part. You see a good looking lady. What will Joe Gomez's eyes go to first? Legs. Definitely legs. Derriere legs. I'm more of a lower body guy. Other guys are more attracted to, I can't say names, you know, large (laughs) chest, et cetera. No, I'm more legs than. Nice. Uh, And the last one of Five Second Frenzy, Joe, favorite curse word? Fuck. Yeah, it's going to be fuck. (laughs) That is the number one. I try not to use it as much as I should, but uh, it still slips out. (laughs) My daughter makes me pay her money every time I curse. So, yeah. (laughs) Excellent, Joe. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to. talk to me about your career, your time in pro wrestling and, and everything else that we've talked about uh, on the show today. Uh, it means a lot to me. And I always uh, say that the, the nice thing at the end of the interview, because you were on television for a wrestling company at the height of pro wrestling. And I hope you are so proud of what you accomplished because not only did you do that, but all the way over here in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, you had a fan right here in me. Well, you know what? I'm honored and it's always nice to be remembered for things you did. And if I can make an impact or an impression on a, a young man all the way in Perth, it does make me feel pretty darn good. And I had a wonderful time doing your show. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. And um, yeah, I hope uh, uh, we, we get to speak again soon. Listen, you ever find your way to the States? My partner and I got a great little pizza place here, a few other businesses. I promise you this, you'll have one heck of a time in Tampa. <laughs> yeah, so if I do visit, I'm going to have to come to Florida because apparently that's where every wrestler lives. So <laughs> You got an open invite. And as Nate calls me, I'm the mayor of Tampa. We can show you a good time, I promise. <laughs> Sounds good, my friend. Well, thank you again, Joe. Had a great time. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you all out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm California. This is my new friend, Mr. Joe Gomez, and we will see you down the road. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you.